Hello, and welcome to The Interview, a podcast that presents conversations with top figures in media and politics. I'm Ada McLaughlin, the editor-in-chief of Mediaite, and this week, my guest is Jason Miller, a senior advisor to former President Donald Trump. I spoke to Jason on Thursday afternoon, a few days after attending the annual Conservative Political Action Conference, or CPAC, where Donald Trump was the headline act. Trump delivered a lengthy speech on Sunday to close out the conference, which was the first speech of his post-presidency. He tilted his hand to the way he plans on wielding power in the Republican Party going forward, and that is by exacting revenge on the congressional Republicans who voted to impeach him, each of whom he called out by name in the speech. Trump also made clear that he will not be moving on from the conspiracy theory that the 2020 election was stolen from him. He repeatedly claimed falsely that he actually won that election, and almost every attendee I spoke to at CPAC said they believed that claim. It also happens to be the claim that inspired the bloody attack on the Capitol on January 6th. The CPAC audience was also very much still on the Trump train. Uh, Almost every attendee I spoke to said they would like to see him run again in 2024. I called up Jason Miller on Thursday to talk about CPAC, whether he's concerned that Trump supporters continue to believe the election was stolen, and how Trump plans to wield power in the Republican Party now that he's out of office. Jason Miller is a senior advisor to former President Donald Trump. Jason, thank you for joining me. Aiden, thanks for having me, and uh, congrats on the success of the podcast. I was looking through and see you've had some uh, some pretty uh, uh, big names come through, so it seems like pretty exciting uh, first six months for you. I very much appreciate that. Yeah, uh, no, we've had we've had some good ones, um, including Jonathan Swan, who I believe you deal with uh, fairly extensively in in Washington D.C. Yeah, I, I told him that uh, I'd have higher ratings from this one than uh, <laughs> than he did. So um, uh, just bust his chops. Now you've had uh, look. It's uh, I was listening a little bit. I mean, everyone from uh, Rachel Maddow to Jonathan Swan to Chris Starwalt. Actually, I didn't have a chance to listen to the Starwalt one yet, but um, I want to. So I've downloaded it on my phone as I'm a, a podcast junkie these days. Oh, interesting. I'm I'm glad that uh, the the interview is one of your choices. And in, in any case, I want to kick this off by talking about CPAC. I was in attendance this year, it was my first time, and Donald Trump was the headline act. Uh, It was sort of the first big appearance of his post-presidency, and he delivered a lengthy speech. What was your takeaway from CPAC this year? So a couple of things. I mean, yeah, as you um, as you mentioned, this was President Trump's first post-presidency speech. Uh, you know, he had only been out of office for about six weeks or so at the time of the speech, uh, though it felt like so much longer because we're used to having President Trump be front and center on everything from social media to the White House. And so, um, you know, going in, there were really a couple of goals. One was to go and call out Joe Biden for some of the things that President Trump had predicted would happen uh, once Biden took office. Uh, but then secondly, wanted to try to chart a little bit of the, the future vision of where the where the party's going, what Trumpism means, what some of the uh, the ideals that, that he has, why we need to repeat those successes in 2022 and in 2024. Uh, but a little bit more, a little more granular level, there's also some questions that we needed to to make uh, to answer, such as is there a chance uh, that President Trump could go and start a third party, for example, which we we put that to rest um, and uh, obviously didn't make any sort of announcement about 2024, but he kind of uh, dipped his his toe in the water. So it was uh, uh, it was a little bit like a like a homecoming event, definitely a friendly crowd. Do you think that Trump will run in 2024? 
I hope so. Uh, obviously, I'm a little bit biased. I haven't worked for <laughs> President Trump on both his, his 2016 and 2020 campaigns. But even in private, he hasn't made any sort of formal decision. And to be honest with you, I'm not expecting there to be any sort of imminent announcement. I think that uh, I think a couple of things here. It's, it's very clear from both the not just the CPAC reception, but uh, internal polling that we've seen, public polling that we've seen, that President Trump's support with not just the Republican base, but the overall conservative base is very strong. But uh, several years away, several years away, a lot of different things can happen in life. And I think the president is right now, he's, he's very much enjoying himself. Uh, the schedule, the pace is a little bit different. Uh, I think the I still see the fire there every day when we talk, but um, uh, by no means has any sort of decision been made yet. Yeah, you know, you note his popularity amongst Republicans. And I got to say, when the CPAC obviously did their their straw poll, which they do every year for, you know, what uh, attendees' uh, choice is for the next election. And I think everyone was was fairly, uh, was, was not surprised to see that Trump won that poll handily. Um, but I was a little bit surprised that he won by 55%. And, you know, just given how much support he has in the Republican Party, were you surprised by that number? Did you expect him to get a, a higher uh, percentage of the attendees at CPAC? So it's a little, I'm going to give you a little bit more granular answer on this. It might be just a, a, a tad bit longer, but I, I, I want to kind of get into the weeds on this. One thing to keep in mind is he had, uh, I believe it was approximately 37% of the CPAC attendees were from Florida. So you're going to have, a, mm -hmm. in, in look, uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, who I've worked with in the past, is having quite a moment right now. He is uh, uh, he's hitting all the right notes on reopening, uh, dealing with COVID. Uh, this is a very good run for Governor DeSantis. So being right in his backyard, 37% of the attendees, uh, of course, he's going to have uh, he's going to have a bump up. The other thing that I'd point out, too, is uh, in some of our post-election polling, some of the research that we've done, uh, excuse me, let me take both in the pre-election and in the post-election polling. Keep in mind that you know, our normal polling would usually show that about 70% of Trump voters were supporting him first and foremost because they're on board with him, and about 30% because they dislike the Democrats or the opposition. The inverse was frequently true with Joe Biden, where he would have some somewhere between 30 or 40% of his support base being pro-Biden and the rest being anti-Trump. And so the post-presidency uh, numbers showing of where folks' support is for President Trump in a future presidential run is actually, you know, that 70%, somewhere in that 60 to 70% uh, actually, it's more like 66 to 70 percent of the Republican Party wanting President Trump to run again actually is pretty consistent polling wise uh, from just before the election. And so I looked at it and that's a, a way more detailed answer. But looking at the data, and the way that it's tracked, I was actually feeling really good that that uh, was basically the same that it was as, say, October 2020. Uh, so I, I felt pretty good about it. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, just speaking a little bit more about uh 2024, Bloomberg reported, uh, I think yesterday, that Trump has been weighing a run without Mike Pence on the ticket. And Christy Nome, the governor of South Dakota, who is a, a huge hit at CPAC, was mentioned as a possible option. Do you think he would pick someone like that if he did run again? Oh, a couple of things. And as you notice, I think I was probably the only person who was on the record uh, in the story. And I think I had a, a very articulate fake news declaration uh, for the <laughs> story. I think that was my I think that was my contribution. Uh, but uh, look, when you have uh, literally only one other uh, uh, 
uh, prospective uh, VP candidate who's mentioned in the story. It's like, oh, I wonder who was pushing this story. Could it maybe be the uh, uh, supporters of Governor Nome? But, uh, but that's not to take anything away from Governor Nome. It, here's the reality is uh, the president has, again, whether it's in public, whether it's in private, he's kept his cards pretty close uh, to the vest with regard to a, if he's even uh, how serious uh, a potential 2024 run might be. But I can tell you, as someone who probably speaks with him on the the political side as much, if not more than anybody else, never once has there been a conversation internally or uh, in a group about doing something different uh, for the VP position for 2024 if he decides to go that route. Mm-hmm. So the uh, I thought the story uh, look it was, it was clickbait. I mean, and, you know, I can't necessarily you know fault uh, uh, the Bloomberg team. I mean, it's a you know it was probably juicy clickbait, uh, probably good drudge uh, positioning and all of that. But that, that's all it was. There have been no conversations on this, and uh, you know, uh, President Trump and Vice President Pence have had a couple of really good conversations. Conversations since um, uh, President Trump left office, and there have been no conversations about anything that uh, that detailed for for 2024. But so, I mean, when I speak to people at CPAC, like a lot of them, very much still like Mike Pence, but a lot of them are still furious with him about for you know his certification of the Electoral College vote. And so it wouldn't, you know, it surprised me if Trump voters did not want to see Mike Pence on any future ticket. Um, but you say that Trump and Pence are still speaking and are on good terms now? Yeah, uh, so they're uh, good terms. I had a really good call about a week and a half ago. That was the uh, the most recent call. And, uh, you know, time, uh, time heals a lot of things uh, with voters and, and ultimately folks are going to support the ticket because of president Trump, if he decides to go and run again. Uh, but, uh, but uh, there've been no conversations of, uh, you know, about potentially swapping out uh, vice president Pence. I thought that was a, a little bit silly. And while well, I realized that uh, some Trump supporters might be a little bit uh, frustrated with the former vice president, he's a great guy. He's been a loyal ally, loyal teammate. Uh, and I think um, uh, president Trump still has pretty high, re- high regard and fondness for uh, vice president Pence. Let's talk about the media a little bit. Uh, One dispatch I wrote from CPAC was on what the attendees thought about Fox News. And a lot of them said that they weren't ready to forgive Fox after the uh, the, the network called the election uh, for Joe Biden, particularly Arizona for Biden, and then declared Biden the president-elect despite Trump's election challenges. What's your take on Fox News? So I think, uh, you know, Fox has had a, a very long run where they have been the only voice on the right. Uh, mm-hmm. There is now increased competition uh, with both Newsmax, with OAN. Uh, we see the rise in uh, in folks on the right watching via OTT or online, uh, consuming their news in different ways. And I think that competition is always good. Uh, I think competition keeps folks honest. Uh, make sure that we uh, make sure that we uh, we have a, a good uh, diversity of, of thought in there. Um, and it's, it's not lost on me that, for example, Fox just brought on Kaylee McEnany uh, for a prominent role, which uh, to me uh, is a probably a reaction to some of the other networks cutting into uh, their um, cutting into their ratings. Uh, but I've always thought, uh, look on the left. Uh, you have MSNBC, you have CNN, you have uh, traditional broadcast um, news outlets. So there's there's a lot of competition on the right. I think we're helped by having additional channels, additional outlets, and having there be a, a much more uh, broader competition. I think that can only be good for Republicans and conservatives. Does President Trump still watch Fox News? Of course. Yeah, 
Of course, he watches. Uh, of course, he watches Fox News, uh, but he also watches uh, uh, Newsmax and OAN as well. So there's and, and the other thing too. Uh, look, President Trump. Uh, he, he also watches. It might not always uh, admit the, the frequency in which he uh, checks out some of the other stations, but uh, I'm sure he probably knows exactly what the primetime lineups look like for, say, CNN and MSNBC and uh, and the uh, ABC, NBC, CBS. So he he is uh, probably the, the ultimate consumer of uh, of television news. He also, I just noticed, uh, actually right before we started recording this interview, released a statement uh, attacking the Wall Street Journal editorial page. Um, I'm not sure if if you saw this or had a hand in it, Um, but I'm I'm wondering if, you know, these statements that we've been getting uh, from the former president, is this his new way of tweeting now that he's no longer on Twitter? I think it's a temporary stopgap. You know, one of the things that we... uh, we were discussing the other day is he's actually had a lot more pickup from his uh, once every couple of day press releases that he puts out than he did over a lot of his tweets uh, mm-hmm. by the the end of the administration. Uh, and I, I think one, because it gets a little bit more detailed, a little bit more fleshed out uh, and also can start adding in policy specifics and, and as such as today with his pushing back on the Wall Street Journal, which, by the way, they've They've been hitting President Trump, if not once a day, then twice a day for pretty continually for about a week now. And I, I think the president wanted to push back there and, and point out that ideologically, it's this isn't just a, a never Trump positioning for the editorial page for The Wall Street Journal. There's really it's a there's a never populist um, effort. I mean, just keep in mind ideologically on a number of these issues, whether it's trade, immigration, uh, endless wars and foreign involvement, three of the, the policies that the president name checked uh, in his statement today, there's just a fundamental difference of opinion. So um, I do think that uh, I do think that we're probably not that far off from seeing President Trump return to social media. Um, and I've said before that there are ongoing conversations with both existing social media platforms, but then also potentially with some brand new platforms. Um, and there are conversations that are uh, kind of parallel paths that are running on a number of those fronts. I would expect that by the end of spring, we'll see President Trump back on social media. And I think it'll be in some new platforms that maybe you haven't seen before. And it will be a, uh, a tectonic plate shift in the world of social media because anything that he touches is going to be big. So I think there's going to be some excitement on that front. So there's no chance that he's going to be coming back to Twitter or Facebook. It will be at some sort of alternative to those platforms. Uh, I would never shut the door completely on mm-hmm. anything, although I'm sure uh, Jack uh, would probably shut the door completely to a Twitter <laughs> return and, and Zuckerberg. Uh, but we'll see what happens in, in April with this uh, uh, this advisory board review from uh, from Facebook. I, If I were a betting person, I would say it's probably with uh, different entities other than Twitter and Facebook. Uh, but uh, uh, I know the president always I never want to go and box him and say absolutely on this stuff. But, you know, I think it'll be something new. Now, there was a lot of talk at CPAC this year about election reforms, and that's all fine and good. Uh, but almost every CPAC attendee that I spoke to, and I interviewed dozens um, over the course of the weekend, they all believe that the election was stolen and that Joe Biden is not the legitimate president. Does that concern you at all? Well, a couple of things here. I mean, number one, I mean, Joe Biden is the uh, is the legitimate president. I mean, that's uh, that's uh, and I think President Trump, when he put out his statement uh, when they were done counting the 
the electoral votes uh, the evening of, uh, I guess technically at that point, it was the morning of January 7th, uh, right. ensuring that there would be an orderly transition for Joe Biden coming in. Uh, that put to rest any any question or any issue. Once once the electoral votes were counted up, uh, that, that puts it to rest. That's the, the formal uh, structure within our Constitution for the, the peaceful transition of power. Um, so there's uh, there's no debate, no question there. Now, with regard to the uh, to the the fairness of election, I want to kind of put things into into two buckets because I think a lot of folks, uh, whether it's in the media or people who are kind of watching, uh, might might kind of conflate the two. The first is you have questions regarding, say, empirical examples of voter fraud irregularities, which uh, frequently and too often pop up, whether dead people voting or uh, folks from out of state voting or uh, felons or um, uh, people who are uh, in the country illegally. Those are concerns. And I think that uh, and in in particular, some of the new vote by mail methods, they're concerned about the the chain of custody with some of the ballot drop boxes. Those are all things that need to be addressed at the state level with state legislatures. To, to go get those tightened up in advance of 2022 and 2024. So the, the empirical fraud and irregularities, that's one bucket. The thing where I think that there is a, a very legitimate argument where people have a right to be frustrated and upset about uh, at, a, at a broader level are these uh, abuses of Article 2 of the Constitution. So the U.S. Constitution, Article 2, says the state legislatures are the only entities, the only government entities that can set state elections. And the fact that so many of these uh, voting reforms, particularly to the, the mass mail voting, were done uh, circumventing state legislatures and, and going around them, and whether it be executive fiat or local municipalities, that is a very legitimate debate and something that hopefully we'll be able to address as well with state legislatures in the midterms. And uh, there is a, a strong school of thought that if the U.S. Constitution hadn't been circumvented and state legislatures hadn't been circumvented, then President Trump would have won. Uh, I think that is a, a very legitimate debate. Obviously, pursued that with the court, did not get the remedy that we wanted. But I've heard a lot of very smart people. I'm not a constitutional law expert, but I've heard a lot of people who are say that uh, there is the argument there. Uh, but as far as the, the the legitimacy of the presidency and, and things like that, that's uh, I, I don't think that's helpful for for people to say that. Let's let's go and beat the Democrats in 2022 and, and then again in 2024. So that's all fine and good, but it does sound like like Trump himself is saying that. I mean, let's let's assume that you're right and that he does believe that Biden is the currently the legitimate president. Does he still think the election was stolen? Well, I, I think there are, uh, I mean, he's made it very clear that he believes that the, even his statement today that the uh, system was rigged. And I think the, the way that the, the Article 2 abuses uh, that we saw, particularly with states such as uh, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and by the way, the Wisconsin decision was four to three at the state Supreme Court there. And they effectively said that we were right, that they did circumvent uh, the uh, the U.S. Constitution and went around the state legislature in violation of of the rules, they just weren't going to give us the relief that we sought right. in that case. These, just to be clear, if, these were all decisions that were made by states in advance of the election to make it easier for people to vote by mail, right? Because it was well, it's there. Um, uh, that's that's a bit of a shorthand summary. And, and look, having more having more people participate. In the election process thing. is a good thing. That's always yeah. always a good thing. I mean, the fact I mean, President Trump received 
10 million, just under 10 million more voters in 2020 than did in 2016. That's great. In fact, reading an excellent write-up uh, by David Shore in New York Magazine uh, about President Trump and uh, how he, he gained with Black and Latino and Asian American voters in 2020. And some of the, so I encourage everyone to take a look at that article. Shore is actually a left-of-center um, uh, data, uh, uh, data guru and, and good write-up there. So more voters is good, but we also have to make sure that we have the security put to it. And we also got to make sure that they're not blindly going out, that there's not uh, a massive amount of fraud and irregularities that, that go out to it. If you have one set of people who are following the rules and there are a set of folks who aren't following the rules, that's always a concern. So uh, these are all things that I hope are addressed in the midterms, but those are uh, those are uh, or in advance of the midterms. So those are always going to be a state by state debate. Um, you've got to do it through the legislatures. Right. So you mentioned the massive fraud and irregularities, and but there there wasn't actually evidence of any sort of massive fraud. There were individual instances of, let's say, dead people voting. It was incredibly minor. It happens in every election. This election was no different. The only real reason that voting is under such scrutiny is because Trump claimed the election was stolen. There doesn't seem to have been any more fraud than there has been in previous years. And it's certainly, and all officials agree on this, there certainly wasn't enough fraud to have changed the election result from Biden to Trump. Well, I'd push back on that a little bit for a couple of places. Of course, the uh, one of the most egregious examples, which fortunately it was caught, but uh, always raises the question about where is it not caught with Antrim County, Michigan, where some of the uh, machine malfunctions swung 6,000 votes from um, from President Trump to Joe Biden. That was that was corrected. That was fixed. That was good that they were on top of it. We did see during the um, the uh, the recount phase where we saw multiple counties in the state of Georgia that had over a thousand uh, plus votes in each of those counties for President Trump that weren't properly tabulated. Uh, there are concerns with the uh, chain of custody and a number of things with in particular, you now we have the, the ballot harvesting in some places where it's been legalized and the, uh, the drop boxes. I mean, you literally just uh, Google uh, anything about mass mail ballots and where, uh, again, where ballots are sent out without people having to request them. And every, everywhere from Nevada to New Jersey and all places in between, you'll get stories about people saying that they receive ballots at their house for people who don't live there anymore uh, or might be dead. Um, and that needs to be tightened up. I, I think that in many of these states, they rushed uh, under the guise of COVID to move toward a, a mass mail balloting system. And I think a lot of places, they skipped a lot of steps to make sure that we're uh, ensuring against a lot of these fraud and irregularities. But yeah. again, when you point to it, 6,000 votes in Antrim County, Michigan, or multiple thousands of votes going through Georgia, uh, I would say that those are more than minor or one-offs. Uh, and it's it's imperative that we go and get that tightened up, uh, regardless of the municipality in advance of the next elections. Right. Like going forward, looking forward, tightening up is is fine. Right. I think everyone agrees that there should not be any fraud in elections that I, I think the issue here is that the all like a lot of this stuff is just is is allegations. Right. It's it's hearsay. It's people claiming that they you know received uh, two ballots or something like that. Um, you know, the Trump team brought all this stuff to, to court and, uh, you know, everyone from Trump appointed judges to judges not appointed by Trump threw it out. So I think at a certain point, if you claim the election is stolen and then you bring that to a court and the court tosses it out because they say there's simply no evidence of it, isn't it uh, imperative that Donald Trump come out and say, OK, the election wasn't actually stolen? 
Well, I think we're conflating a couple of different things here. I think with regard to the uh, most of the lawsuits focused on most of the the election lawsuits focused on the Article Two abuses, where uh, changes were made to the voting system outside of the state legislatures, and with most of those lawsuits. Uh, they would say effectively just uh, there's no chance that we're going to get the remedy that we were seeking. Uh, some of them, as I referenced before, say the Wisconsin Supreme Court effectively said that we were spot on, uh, that we were right, but they just didn't want to go and, and grant us the, the remedy that, that we were seeking. Uh, with regard to the empirical examples of fraud and irregularities, I do think that it's uh, smart to go and call those out, to go and jump on them. Uh, a number of those uh, have been brought up, but most of the, the cases that were, say, dismissed were regarding those Article II violations. Uh, but also, I mean, to your point, uh, in a number of these places where we have folks in the states who are uh, raising concerns, I do think that if we had uh, some additional oversight or additional investigations at the state level to hear out some of these concerns, I think that would be good. And hopefully for some of these voting reforms going into the midterms, we can go back through and do that. I, I do think that they got short shrift in some of these places uh, for some of the statistical irregularities and such that there should have been a deeper dive. But uh, that's obviously only going to be an impact now for going forward. The reason I'm harping on this is that, you know, it'd be one thing if Trump came out after the election and said there were all these irregularities, we really have to tighten it up. I'm going to champion election reform. You know, Joe Biden is the president, but I really think that these are issues that we should should take a closer look at. Instead, he said for, for weeks and then months that the election was stolen. He He has successfully convinced almost all of his supporters that it was. When you look at polling, it's like 80% of Trump supporters believe that Joe Biden is illegitimate and that the election was stolen. And a, a even more you know, dangerous consequence is that is that you had a, a horde of, of supporters at the, at the Capitol on January 6th who were convinced that the election was stolen, that they had to stop the elect, electoral card certification. And they did so violently and six people ended up dying. Like, is there not a difference between you know, saying that there are problems with the election that need to be resolved, and then just outright saying the election was stolen. And do you not think that Trump has a responsibility to come out and tell his supporters, it wasn't stolen, Joe Biden's the president, but we need to focus on election reform? Well, okay, we can pack a, a number of different things kind of uh, all together in that one, <laughs> uh, specifically to uh, January 6th. I mean, January yeah. 6th was, was terrible. We can never, ever allow something like that to happen again. And I've said this a number of times that anyone who's watched President Trump over the last um, uh, one, five years, let alone the last year, knows that he's been one of the most pro-law enforcement, anti-mob violence folks who are out there. And he's been uh, pretty – in fact, during the impeachment trial, we played statement after statement after statement of President Trump deploring any aspect of, of violence. And so anyone who, who thought that they were uh, – that they're – some reason think they're a Trump supporter and participate in any aspect of violence, well, first of all, they're, uh, they've completely missed his entire mission, and there's no place for that ever. So that uh, one kind of deal with the January 6th right off the top. The other thing is with regard to uh, – say, let me just go and take the, the Wisconsin example for a moment. I think that President Trump is very much uh, within his rights to say that Wisconsin, the fact that they circumvented the state legislature, that they sent out 
uh, mail ballots to people who didn't request them. And so essentially juicing Democratic turnout in key counties by blasting out ballots. Uh, so it happened in certain places, but didn't necessarily happen in, in more pro-Republican places. Now, there's certainly counties all across the state where there was uh, increased mail voting. But the fact that they went in, circumvented the the rules are in place so that you have to go through the state legislature, blast ballots out to everybody. Do I think that President Trump would have easily won Wisconsin if they hadn't circumvented the state legislature and done that? Absolutely. Uh, do I think that it was it was uh, legally rigged um, in favor of the Democrats, say, for the state of Wisconsin? Absolutely. Uh, these are things that I think President Trump has every right to be upset about. But at this point, it's it's a go forward, and we have to we have to address these with state legislatures in the midterms. Uh, so I, uh, I think the president is is within his right to be upset in a number of these states or, or similar circumstances. But this is part of the reason why you saw much of his remarks for CPAC uh, specific to we have to go and change this in the midterms in these states. This is about the go forward here. Just one follow up on the on the uh, January 6 issue, because I know that you advised the president through the impeachment trial. The, the one thing that I'm always stuck on is that, you know, we I understand the argument that, you know, the president uh, expresses his support for law enforcement, uh, said even in the, the speech on January 6, you know, go protest peacefully. Um, on the other hand, if if I genuinely believe, if I'm one of the, the the Trump supporters at the Capitol and I genuinely believe that the election was stolen, I believe that my country is over, which Trump said, he said America's over um, if this is allowed to happen. Um, and that democracy has been basically been corrupted. I don't think that it's that crazy to do something about it and to sort of storm the Capitol. You know, that's like a if you believe that democracy has fallen apart, that your country is no longer a country anymore. Um, you know, taking it into your own hands is not necessarily that wild. And I think that's what a lot of people, you know, do you think that that's a fair, like, reaction to having been convinced that this election was stolen? No, because I think that uh, I think that there are uh, there are many folks who uh, are not really Trump supporters uh, or there are folks who uh, clearly have missed everything that President Trump has said with regard to mob violence or any sort of uh, activity where it becomes physical or, or confrontational. Uh, who were acting on their own. Obviously, we've seen some of the law enforcement reports of people planning things even in advance of the president delivering his speech on, on January 6th. The, it's terrible that a lot of this information from the FBI did not get shared with Capitol Police, and we need to make sure that that sort of intelligence gap never happens again. But uh, whether it be the uh, John Sullivan, the uh, the BLM activist, or whether it be the uh, the complete jabroni with the uh, the horns on his head, and uh, mm. what they call him, like the the chieftain uh, outfit, yeah, um, the QAnon shaman. Okay, that that is uh, okay, right? So if you have someone who's complete whack job like that, mm -hmm. uh, and look, whether uh, regardless of their uh, affiliation, I think that there were there were some people who had uh, alternative uh, agendas. There clearly were not. Uh, Trump supporters. I will know that, that uh, Christopher Wray, the FBI director, said in testimony this week that there's no, they've found no evidence that there were fake Trump supporters there. And I think when you look at the photos, everyone's wearing MAGA hats, well, they've got giant Trump flags. It's, it, it, it's, it strains credulity to, to assume that, that any of those people there are not there because they want to stop the certification of the Electoral College, which is. Uh, I'd I, I I, I, I disagree with you on that one. Uh, so, for example, the, the, uh, the, the shaman uh, character was at a climate change conference with his same idiotic costume just a couple months earlier. 
Um, I can't imagine that there are too many uh, Trump supporters who are very concerned about the uh, uh, the legality of uh, some of the electoral votes and some of the, having and supporting some of these election challenges who are also at say uh, climate change conferences uh, wearing a ridiculous shaman outfit a couple months earlier. Obviously, we saw the the John Sullivan uh, who was uh, who was arrested. Uh, he is someone who I think it's pretty safe to say is not a uh, is not a Trump supporter. So, no, but he, even, he's so he's sort of a, a, an an instigator. He he has shown up at rallies before and sort of tried to to cause trouble. Um, but I think like these are individual kind of isolated cases. The vast majority of of the crowd had walked from Trump's speech um, to the Capitol. Uh, and we're, you know, decked out in in Make America Great Again hats, and we're waving flags, and we're chanting, um, "Stop the steal!" Uh, they were looking for Nancy Pelosi. They were chanting, "Hang Mike Pence!" Some of them. Um, I think it was, it, you know, there there seems to be far more evidence that they were all Trump supporters there because they wanted to stop the Electoral College certification than they were, you know, fake Trump supporters uh, trying to, I guess, you know, make the president look bad. Well, I, I think that you have some folks, as we've seen, uh, who, for example, the um, whoever left uh, uh, explosive devices by the DNC or the RNC the night before. That is someone who is uh, is not a uh, is not a Trump supporter. That's someone who's mentally uh, deranged and has some some serious issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I there were obviously people who were um, there were people who were protesting who did not violate any any laws or rules who did not uh, enter the Capitol did not uh, push any sort of uh, push any sort of violence on on January six and there were people who were inside and were participating in uh, some uh, pretty terrible behavior that uh, that there's no excuse for it and I think we've made it very clear that. Uh, Never support any aspect of, of violence. That's uh, it's never okay in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a, a, a can I can only say it so many times over and over uh, that that's that's not something. And heck, we even did it during the the impeachment trial where President Trump was uh, was again acquitted, uh, making it very clear that uh, that's not something we support. Now, uh, just to uh, before I move on from this, um, just to nail it down, we, you know, aside from the decisions that were made by states before the election and the sort of small amount of uh, irregularities that have been pointed to in the election, we can both agree that the election, the 2020 election, wasn't stolen. I think that uh, my these are my words here. I haven't had uh, some I'm put in in my description as opposed to mm-hmm. President Trump's. I think that in a number of these states, it was legally rigged. For the Democrats, uh, sure. as a specific but that's, that's different to try to swing this to. Well, it's I think it's largely semantics. That's the way that that I would describe it. Uh, I think that if you're someone who had their name on the ballot, and you're frustrated with the way that Democrats went in. Um, uh, cheated on the rules here to get around, which is I think that is a uh, a fair viewpoint. Uh, but the the frustration with uh, Democrats playing games and violating Article Two of the Constitution, I'm not going to begrudge anyone who says they didn't go and do it the legal way. They didn't go do it the right way. We didn't get the remedies that we wanted uh, with regard to the the legal challenges. Uh, but this because is, I think that this is didn't why we have to go. This, a lot of judges say like, now. why didn't you make these challenges before the election? Um, I saw that one of the one of the challenges got tossed out on that basis. Well, and, and many of the many of the cases were uh, brought up before, uh, but there was also there wasn't the appetite uh, mm-hmm. by many of the 
uh, by many of the judges to go and address it. I mean, some of these things, the, the cases or the filings sat there for weeks, if not months. So we actually had a pretty aggressive legal program in place up to the election and a very strong election day operations uh, effort at the campaign. Um, so uh, I, I'm not going to begrudge anyone who uh, I can begrudge anyone who says that uh, that the election was stolen, since I think the Democrats did go and uh, legally rig it with the uh, changing of the voting rules. But uh, that is uh, that is not to say that um, uh, to be clear, uh, Joe Biden's president and you, you would say he's, he's the legitimate president. Oh, I've already said that like three times on here. I'm not I'm not psyched about it. Um, and uh, I'll be I'll be lining up to uh, to beat him in, in 2024, hopefully with uh, President Trump if, if he does it again. But um, uh, now there's there's no uh, once once uh, once the electoral votes were counted and President Trump made clear we're going to have an orderly transition, um, then uh, uh, then it's, it's obviously things moved on uh, in an orderly fashion towards January 20th. And uh, now here we are in March. Last question. What's Trump's plan for the next year, couple of years? Is he going to be waging war against the sort of insufficiently MAGA candidates in the Republican Party? Is that to, is that the, the plan for the next couple of years? So the, the real focus for the short term is one to go and we've set up a, a system now. We have a, a candidate questionnaire. Uh, we have um, uh, going to be doing interviews with a number of candidates. Uh, we have both open seats. We have Democrat held seats. There are some places where we're going to look for some upgrades, uh, try to get some more America first type candidates or uh, mega friendly candidates. And people kind of wonder what that is, because um, I'm guessing some of the folks who uh, listen to this podcast will have um, uh, will have watched the CPAC speech. But if not, when you look at a number of the issues, whether it be on uh, trade, whether it be on ending the endless wars, when you talk about immigration, uh, there's some some nuances to the America First movement that are different from just the, I guess, kind of the, the uh, typical Republican or typical um, conservative movement. Want to make sure that we have good America First candidates in a number of these spots. So uh, have a, a pretty big war chest. President Trump raised over three million bucks during his speech at CPAC online. Uh, so we now have over $80 million in Save America, the multi-candidate PAC. Uh, that's, that can help win a whole heck of a lot of races. Um, so we're going through that process, figuring out where we're going to get involved, where we're not going to get involved. Uh, I think there'll be a lot of that. I think you'll see the, the president and the team make pushes for some of these uh, election changes at, at various states, uh, at the state level with the legislature, so we can go and get these done right in advance of 2022. Uh, imagine the president will get some golf in uh, over the next step. <laughs> A couple of months uh, catching up with some friends and uh, which uh, that is my golf game is terrible. So that's, uh, uh, that's where I, I do not join him on. So uh, I, I'd probably get, uh, get thrown off the course if I start, you know, uh, laying uh, you know, exile from Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> yeah, that, that'd be my, my first and last time to the course. Uh, just uh, quickly um, is Mitch McConnell on the list of candidates to primary. Well, keep in mind, uh, Mitch isn't up again until 2026, and even some articles going today about uh, – well, uh, there are even some articles uh, today about uh, – I guess they're talking in Kentucky about maybe changing the rules. So uh, say, for example, if you were a statewide elected official, um, uh, statewide federal elected uh, official in uh, Kentucky, and you were to not serve out a full term, that they get someone other than the governor to uh, to pick the replacement. So uh, it kind of sounds like there might be um, at least a couple of the articles I was reading in the journal and other places that might be working on some things. Uh, but look, here's the thing with with Mitch. 
we want the Republicans to control the Senate after 2022. Uh, we want Republicans to control the House. Uh, I think that it would be uh, to uh, Mitch's benefit uh, to be more supportive of some of these policies and some of these efforts that President Trump is pushing. Uh, I don't really think there's any, uh, I don't think some of the continual uh, poking of the bear, so to speak, uh, with regard to President Trump uh, is going to help Mitch pick up more seats or uh uh, gain him any uh, additional popularity. Uh, so, uh, is, is anyway, Trump still, his, his still own... pissed at, at Mitch? Does he does he blame him for losing the Senate? Is he still and kind of angry about the rebuke that Mitch McConnell gave him uh, after impeachment? Well, if you saw her statement today, uh, you can tell that the mm. the two probably aren't going to be hitting the golf course together <laughs> anytime soon. Uh, I think President Trump. Uh, look, and I think he's right on this. I mean, uh, Republicans blew it. With regard to those two seats in Georgia, and there's there's really no other way to describe it. I mean, uh, Republican candidates are running on it. Hey, we're going to get you a six hundred dollars stimulus check, and Democrats are saying, uh, Hey, idiots, we're going to give everyone a two thousand um, dollar stimulus check. And uh, guess what? Every single person uh, who, if you have a difference between a six hundred dollar check and a two thousand dollar check, um, you're going to take the two thousand dollar check. Yeah, so that like that that one wasn't too hard. That wasn't exactly like a heads or tails. Like that's a uh, so I, I think Republicans really threw away uh, threw away the opportunity for having the majority uh, simply on on that point. So uh, that uh, not very smart strategery on that at all. And now we're the minority as a, as a result. All right, Jason Miller, thank you so much for joining me. Aiden, thanks again. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Interview. Please subscribe to The Interview on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and check out coverage of my conversation with Jason Miller on Mediate.com. We'll see you next week.